seems like TXA may be all the rage. Understand what exactly TXA is doing and how it makes sense here. They define significant GI bleeding as the risk of bleeding to death. It's a somewhat sick population that they were dealing with. The patient probably doesn't care why they died. They want to survive at a different rate. You're probably going to have a bad result. Welcome back to Critical Care Perspectives in Emergency Medicine. This is Mike Winters from the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. So glad that you are joining us for this podcast, a podcast that I am excited to record here to have you listen because we're welcoming back a recent speaker to the podcast and also introducing a new voice that you've never heard here on CCPEM. So we are happy to have these EM critical care experts join us for a very nice discussion on a very important and hot article here in 2020. So to introduce our speakers, you've heard Dr. Gabe Wardy before. He spoke recently on our podcast on the vitamins trial. Gabe, thanks for joining us once again here on CCPEM. And for those that didn't hear you the first time, just spend a minute or two. Tell us who you are. Yeah, so first of all, thank you very much for having us, Mike. So my name is Gabriel Wardy. I am an assistant clinical professor at the University of California, San Diego. I split my time between the Department of Emergency Medicine and also in the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine. So it's a relatively nice setup for me. And obviously, like I said, just very excited to be here and speaking with you. Thanks. And the new voice you are about to hear is none other than Dr. Kit Tainter. Kit Thanks so much for joining Gabe and I on this very important discussion. So happy to have you here for the first time on CCPEM. Give us a little bit of background on who you are and where you're from. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for the invitation. I am a colleague of Gabe's here at the University of California, San Diego. I work in the Department of Anesthesiology, the Division of Anesthesia Critical Care Medicine, and I trained also in emergency medicine before my fellowship. Outstanding. Well, both of you are going to help us decipher a hot article, hot off the press here in 2020, and that deals with the topic of TXA. I think all of us listening to the podcast can certainly, over the past few years, think about utilization of TXA, whether it be in the setting of trauma. More recently, we're using a little bit more frequently for patients perhaps with epistaxis. And based on a relatively recent trial, I think the woman trial, the utilization of TXA for postpartum hemorrhage, it seems like TXA may be all the rage, just like ketamine. We are finding new and innovative ways to use TXA in our clinical practice. And that brings us to the article that we want to go over for everyone on this podcast. And this is the HALT-IT trial that was just published in The Lancet. Lead author is Dr. Roberts, and it is entitled, The Effects of a High-Dose 24-Hour Infusion of Tranexamic Acid on Death and Thromboembolic Events in Patients with Acute Gastrointestinal Bleeding, an International Randomized Double-Blind Placebo-Controlled Trial. Gabe, I'm gonna turn to you first. Give us a little bit of background on this particular trial, and then I guess more so about acute GI bleed and why we're even considering the utilization of TXA. Absolutely. First of all, we're excited to talk about something non-COVID related. Here in San Diego, we've been dealing with quite a bit of it, and that's kind of all we're discussing. So this is kind of a nice break from that. But TXA is something like you said, and I think your analogy is quite appropriate, that it's something that people kind of liken almost like ketamine, where they try to find a new indication, they try to use it. And, you know, for the most part, the evidence has been pretty good in certain patient groups. 
But if you go back a little bit, when we start talking about what TXA is, first, you've got to realize it's a synthetic derivative of lysine that inhibits fibrinolysis. And to understand how it works, we have to jump back to some biochemistry. I know that brings back many bad memories to people of first year of medical school or their undergraduate years. But you've got to remember that we have both a clotting cascade with our intrinsic and extrinsic pathways that ultimately activate factor 10 that cause prothrombin to go to thrombin and ultimately fibrinogen to fibrin to help with clot formation if there's any damage to the vasculature. On the flip side, it's counterpart is going to be the fibrinolytic pathway. And that's where TXA comes in. Remember in our fibrinolytic pathway, what we deal with is we have plasminogen that binds to a tissue plasmin activator, and that binds to fibrin and that breaks down clots. And so it's very important when we talk about this is to understand what exactly TXA is doing and how it makes sense here. And the key little piece to remember when we talk about plasminogen and when it becomes activated with TPA to the TPA plasmin complex, it binds via a little lysine site to fibrin. And what we know happens right there is that TXA, it's a synthetic derivative that effectively prevents the binding from the TPA plasmin complex to fibrin. So it inhibits fibrinolysis. And it's gotten a lot of press recently, but if you take a look at kind of where it comes from, it's nothing new. The history of this goes back actually to the 1950s, where some researchers in Japan actually found out that you could use this to stop fibrinolysis. And it was used predominantly in perioperative situations to prevent bleeding in multiple surgeries, whether it be orthopedic surgeries, gynecologic surgeries, urology, urologic surgeries, cardiothoracic surgeries. And it was used there for a decent amount of time, and people started realizing, hey, this drug actually decreases the amount of blood loss. It wasn't until 1986, though, that people, it got FDA approval, and the first indication that it got approved for was an IV formulation of TXA to prevent bleeding in hemophiliacs after dental procedures. The second approval that it got was an oral formulation that's been approved for heavy menstrual bleeding that happened in 2009. And like you mentioned, since then, people have gotten very enthusiastic about using this medication. Perhaps the biggest trial that came out was in 2010, the CRASH-2 trial, which involved 20,000 patients across many countries. And what the authors were looking at was specifically was the use of TXA in trauma patients by administering one gram over an hour, followed by a second gram over eight hours. And what they found is that if patients got this, their mortality dropped by 1.5%. If you gave it quick, though, within the first hour, the mortality benefit increased to 2.1%. And if you gave it after three hours, you kind of lost that mortality benefit. And this has been repeated. There were some other trials that came out. The MATTERS trial was 2012. This was a military trial looking at some combat injuries in Afghanistan. And again, what they found is early administration of IVTXA in these trauma patients resulted in a pretty significant mortality benefit to those that got it. Like you mentioned, too, we've seen some benefit in postpartum hemorrhage. There was a study there, like you mentioned, the 2017 woman trial. Again, very, very large, 20,000 patients, and they found a small mortality benefit to those that got it, particularly if they got it early. Something else to mention about all these trials that have come out is they didn't see an increase in thrombotic events. Because that's one of the concerns when you administer a medicine that inhibits fibrinolysis, that these patients might be at higher risk of developing, let's say, a deep vein thrombosis, 
some kind of acute ischemic stroke, some kind of myocardial infarction. And none of these studies really found that. And the authors that we're going to talk about in this article today brought up a very, very good point when they reviewed the literature and they pointed out that if you look at the evidence for giving TXA in patients with acute gastrointestinal hemorrhage, between 1973 and 2011, they only found eight randomized controlled trials. And in these eight trials, there was only about 1,700 patients. And they noted also, right, again, medicine has changed since 1973. Interventions, kind of how we've approached these, are pretty different. But they noted that, yes, there was a mortality benefit in a meta-analysis that compared these, but they were appropriately skeptical about this. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but, you know, for a meta-analysis, right, you know, if it's a bad study going in, if you put four or five bad studies together, you're probably going to have a bad result also at the end of your meta-analysis. So the authors of this trial decided to bring that up and basically say, hey, why don't we try to do a very, very large trial to discuss and see if the administration of TXA really does have an impact on death and thromboembolic complications in patients with an acute gastrointestinal hemorrhage. That was impressive and outstanding introduction and background to this particular study, Gabe. Well, well done. Well, Kit, I'm turning to you. Take us through the HALT-IT trial specifically. What was the study? Well, as suggested by the title, what they were looking for was to quantify the effects of TXA on death and thromboembolic events in patients with acute gastrointestinal hemorrhage. It was a very large randomized international study, double-blind, placebo-controlled. It occurred from July 2013 to June 2019 in 15 countries, not including the U.S., but there were 164 hospitals in the U.K., Pakistan, Nigeria, Egypt, Malaysia, Georgia, Romania, Nepal, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, Spain, Ireland, Albania, Papua New Guinea, and Australia. So a pretty varied population of across a large part of the world. The inclusion criteria were adults, and that was defined differently in different countries, either at 16 years old or 18 years old, depending on which country it was, in which the treating clinician was substantially uncertain whether to use TXA for patients with acute significant gastrointestinal bleeding. They defined significant GI bleeding as a risk of bleeding to death and included patients with hypotension, tachycardia, signs of shock, or those likely to need transfusion or urgent endoscopy or surgery. They didn't provide any exclusion criteria specifically. So the intervention group was given one gram of TXA in 100 milliliters of saline over 10 minutes, followed by a maintenance dose of three grams over the next 24 hours. So these doses were a little bit higher than some of the doses used in the previous trials. And the control group had a placebo that was similar in physical appearance and allegedly indistinguishable. The outcome they looked at was death due to bleeding within five days of randomization. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about that primary outcome, but that was the primary outcome that they reported. They also looked at a host of secondary outcomes. They looked at death due to bleeding at 24 hours and 28 days. They looked at all-cause mortality at 24 hours, 5 days, and 28 days. They looked at re-bleeding at the same time points. They looked at the need for intervention with surgery or radiologic intervention, blood product transfusion. They looked at thromboembolic events, including DVT stroke, PEs, and MIs. They looked at time in the ICU. They looked at functional status. And they looked at 
a series of other complications as well, including seizures, sepsis, etc. Thanks so much, Kit. So this was a fairly impressive trial. Lots of countries, lots of hospitals over a period of about six years. I'm guessing that they included a whole host of patients. Gabe, turning back to you, take us through the results and what they found. Yeah, so like you said, with this many hospitals, this many countries, we were bound to get a lot of patients. And they enrolled 12,009 total patients. It was honestly split about 50-50 in terms of groups that were randomized to get TXA or placebo. Now, when we talk about the patients they enrolled, when we talked about some of the trauma patients, some of the postpartum hemorrhage, those patients all got TXA relatively quickly. But the mean time to enrollment in this study for patients was about 22 hours in both groups. And only 16% were enrolled in less than three hours from the time of onset from their gastrointestinal hemorrhage. If you want to know the patients that they got, the vast majority of bleeds were upper, about 89% in both groups. Most patients presented with both melana, about 76%, hematemesis, and 72%. They estimated about 45% were variceal in nature, and 88% were suspected of having active bleeding across both groups. So it's a somewhat sick population that they were dealing with, and I think it's very applicable. And, you know, honestly, the group they got was very generalizable to a lot of the patients that we take care of here in San Diego, and I'm sure some of the GI bleeds that you guys take care of at Maryland. Now, when it comes to the primary outcome here, they didn't find a difference in death due to bleeding at five days. The mortality rate for those in the TXA group was 3.7%, and the mortality rate in the group that did not get it in the placebo group was 3.8%. That's a relative risk ratio of 0.99. And from that point, it was a negative trial with regards to you know, its primary outcome. The other thing to mention, though, is that with the steering committee in this trial, the initial primary outcome that they wanted to do was not death from bleeding at five days, but rather it was all-cause mortality at five days. And the initial hypothesis that they had was that the majority of deaths would occur from bleeding in five days. But in their interim analysis, where they, I think they finished almost four-fifths of their trial, they found out that there was a lot less deaths due to bleeding than they anticipated. And so they approached steering committee for this, and they actually got a change in their primary outcome. So again, something to talk about, and we'll talk about this a little bit more down the road, but it's a little bit interesting that the primary outcome was changed. Now, when we look at some of this pre-specified subgroups that they included in this, they looked at things like time to treatment, right? We talked about with trauma, we talked about with postpartum hemorrhage, that a lot of these patients got TXA very quickly. The authors did not find a difference if you got TXA within three hours or after three hours in terms of any mortality benefit. Same thing with the location of bleeding. It did not matter if you had an upper or lower GI bleed, if you got TXA, yes or no. And they looked at some pre-specified subgroups. They found that those that had anticoagulants, no difference in if you got TXA. If they looked at the country income level, either a high, medium, or low country based on your income, and again, no difference in mortality if you got TXA or not. On that aspect, I think it does start to give us some more information on this. And then when they started to jump into some more of their secondary outcomes, there was a lot of no difference between those that got TXA and those that got placebo. When we talked about when Kent mentioned some of the secondary outcomes, looking at bleeding at 24 hours, 28 days, no difference there. No difference in all-cause mortality at 28 days. And they had a similar proportion of patients that had re-bleeding that required surgery or any kind of blood product transfusion. 
What they did find, though, was that there was higher rates of venothrombolic events in the group that got TXA. And they're relatively small, but they were statistically significant. And again, when you have 20,000 patients, this is, you know, one of the strengths of this trial. But what they found is that those that got TXA, about 0.8% of those had some kind of venothrombolic event, whether it be a deep vein thrombosis, whether it be an MI, a PE, compared to 0.4% in the placebo group. The other secondary outcome that they found was slightly higher in the group that got TXA was seizures. And seizures is something that has been reported with TXA administration in the past. And I think it's not definitively known why this happens, but a lot of the leading hypotheses right now is that seizures occur with TXA administration because TXA will cross the blood-brain barrier and it will bind to glycine and GABA receptors as a false neurotransmitter. And when this happens, you're left with unrestrained excitatory neurotransmitters that is thought that causes seizures. And what they found was in the group that got TXA, 0.6% of those had seizures versus 0.4 with an odds ratio of 1.73 that were more likely to have seizures if they got TXA. So again, like I said, you know, kind of the big take home for the results on this is TXA did not help patients with any of either the primary, second, or secondary outcomes. Any of the pre-planned or later described analyses, there was no benefit there too. But we also saw higher rates of venothrombolic events and seizures in those that got TXA. Outstanding review of the results. Now, you both have hinted on this outcome change or primary outcome modification of the trial midway through. And I got to envision that or think that that raises some eyebrows with respect to potential limitations of this overall negative study. Perhaps, can you go into that a little bit more and if there are any other big limitations that you see in this fairly large study? Right. Whenever a study that's published in something like the Lancet or the New England Journal of Medicine comes out, right, everyone is going to look around to kind of find, is this appropriate for the patients that I'm taking care of? What are the limitations? How can we basically say something bad about it? And I think for the most part, honestly, the authors did a fantastic job with this, despite the change in primary outcome that occurred, which I think some people would even say would be somewhat appropriate. Their initial assumption was that the vast majority of deaths from patients with GI bleeding would be bleeding related in the first five days. I think that's a very, very logical assumption to make, and it's certainly supported by the literature. It was a little bit of a surprise that they had that, and to really make sure that they could show statistical significance with a difference in these patients is why they made the switch. So yes, it's a limitation, but I think honestly, they probably approached it as eloquently as they could have, and they describe it very well, and they really didn't try to shy away from it. So yes, it is a limitation, but again, I think a lot of times when writing papers, if you have a limitation, if you kind of go upfront and are honest about it, some people would even say it's the strength of the group itself that's running the trial that they know what they're doing. There were some other limitations about this though, and I think I'm gonna stop right there. Kent is gonna say something. I was just gonna add on to that a little bit. I also think my eyebrow raised a little bit when I was looking at the change in primary outcome. I think that always should catch our attention a little bit. They did report it in the trial, in the manuscript itself, so it wasn't something that was found surreptitiously. And they do have a good rationale for why they had to change that. I think if we had looked at all-cause mortality, that that's a much more important outcome. Whether the patient survives or not, the patient probably doesn't care why they died. They want to survive at a different rate. And so all-cause mortality would be a more important outcome. But when they were looking at this trial, I think they might have provided the wrong answer with that outcome. 
And so this was sort of the next best choice that they had. And it seems like it was appropriate. Yeah, Kit, that's very well said. I completely agree with what you're saying right there. And just to kind of go through, right, just some other limitations just for completeness with this. Right, remember, this was a pragmatic trial, and a lot of the outcomes were left to the treating clinicians to make them. So we're kind of left assuming that when they say that they reported that this was a variceal bleed, it was an upper GI bleed, that they were accurate, right? This is not something that they didn't have a dedicated study team that evaluated every patient. It depended on the teams that were reporting the information to them. So that leads to some potential misclassification bias. Again, also something that we talked about in the introduction of the study was that if a patient clearly needed TXA, they were exempt. And I think this was a very, very small fraction of patients, but it's something that I think would have been interesting if they included those here in the trial. And the final two little points here is when we talk about the dose of TXA, these patients got four grams within the first 24 hours. If you look at something like CRASH-2 with trauma patients, they got a total of two grams in the first eight hours. And this is something that makes it a little bit more difficult when we start talking about these venothrombolic events. Is this something that potentially this higher dose that was well-intentioned, did this cause us to see this change in venothrombolic events? And finally, we're left basically with, for these venothrombolic events, we don't truly know if they were due to the administration of TXA or not. The TXA has a half-life of about two hours. These were done at 28 days. So we're not certain if a patient just stayed in the hospital for, let's say, 20 days immobile and developed a DVT that was not caused by the administration of TXA. So some limitations, but overall, I think Kit and I are both very impressed with the quality of the study, the dedication of the staff that put it together, and the overall presentation of everything that they put here. Well, you guys have done a truly expert analysis, deep dive on this very important and timely paper. Kit, I'm going to start with you. In terms of everything we just talked about the last 20 minutes or so, what are your take-home pearls from this particular paper, and how do we move forward now that this is in print? Well, I think we can start with the most obvious, that it appears there's no benefit for tranexamic acid in the management of acute GI bleeds. There is no benefit over a placebo, and there is even a signal that there might be a potential harm. So this is probably not an intervention that we should be doing routinely for all patients who present with acute GI bleeds. I think this is a really important question that was answered by this study. As Gabe mentioned, the prevailing answer prior to this was the opposite, that if you look at the meta-analysis, adding together all of these smaller studies, it would seem that there was a benefit. And that's another really important point, I think, that we can generalize to other topics as well, that the sum of a bunch of small studies is not the same as performing one big, well-performed study. So I don't know if they had another acronym prepared for if we should continue it with TXA for GI bleed, but I think the title helps us remember what we should probably do. I like that a lot. (laughs) Well said there. Gabe, anything to add to what Kit just said? No, he did a fantastic job. I think that really is probably the biggest take-home point from this. And I also just wanted to highlight one of the things that I really liked about this trial is I find that it's remarkably generalizable, right? Remember, this was done over many, many countries, 20,000 patients. And one of the things that I think it's looked over quite a bit is this was actually a pragmatic trial. Remember, what this is meant to do, a pragmatic trial, 
is meant to look at a real life situation in routine practice with treating physicians. A lot of times, randomized trials that we look at are much more exploratory where they really try to go through and demonstrate causation. And then you look at the list of exclusion criteria and you go, oh my gosh, this intervention will probably never apply to a single patient that I'll take care of in my life. These guys did the exact opposite here though. By making it pragmatic, they left a lot up to the treating physician, which means to me, this is very applicable to the patients that I'm taking care of. Again, this was somewhat in terms of the outcome that didn't show a benefit to TXA. But again, one of the things that the authors also did exclude was those where there was a clear benefit for TXA. And even though they included about half their patients were cirrhotics, we know that there are certain cirrhotics that are in a hyperfibrinolytic state. And I think these would probably be the patients that if you have the availability to do a thromboelastogram and you see that upside down martini glass, these would probably be the only patients with a gastrointestinal hemorrhage where you should even think about using this therapy. And again, that's just with a little more data to kind of help shift your thinking. But again, for the routine administration in a gastrointestinal hemorrhage, stick away from this. I think what you're saying is that if you have evidence of fibrinolysis, there may be a subgroup of patients that could still benefit from TXA. And I think that's an area for future exploration. So we are all healthcare providers. We all have this desire to try to help people. And when we have an intervention like TXA that's cheap and it's readily available, it's normal for us to want to provide that intervention. So I think there's a bias for a lot of us to try to give a medication if we have it or to do an intervention if we have it. And this trial reminds us that it's important to restrain that a little bit, that just because we have something doesn't mean we need to use it. Completely agree. Yep. This has been an incredibly helpful and very important podcast. I want to thank both of you for joining me to record. I know we're a few hours apart in terms of distance between Baltimore and San Diego, but you guys have done an outstanding job dissecting, deep diving into this paper. So my thanks for joining us on this podcast for any of you that have any questions for Gabe or Kit, please shoot me an email or shoot us an email through the website. I'll fire that off to them and we will get you a reply on the use of TXA in acute GI bleed or the HALT-IT trial. Gentlemen, my thanks once again and thanks to everyone for joining us on this podcast. Looking forward to talking to you on our next podcast here for CCPEM. Once again, this is Mike Winters from the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. We shall talk to you on our next podcast. Bye for now.